Welcome to Teach Out Loud Podcast, where we highlight all the amazing educators in our state and beyond that are making a difference every day for kids. Teach Out Loud is about bringing your passion and your best self to what you are doing every day. It's trying new things, sharing ideas, and being the best version of you. It's living life to the fullest, growing, and not being afraid to take those risks. Come on this journey with us and Teach Out Loud. I'm Travis Lape. And I'm Lisa Norris. And together we are on a journey to share and highlight amazing things happening in schools today. Welcome back to another episode of Teach Out Loud. We are so excited, Lisa, today. Oh my gosh, I am so excited about today. I have had so many of my previous students and their parents talk about Mr. Wells. And I'm I like, know. who is Mr. Wells? And I need to go to his classroom. And so I am thrilled to be here today. So and now we're in his classroom. I know, right? And it's it's got me intrigued of what actually goes on in this room. It's I know, right? More like a lair. Right? <laughs> I like that. Well, let me do some information about um, Mr. Wells here first. So he got his degree... Uh, from the University of South Dakota in communication studies with an emphasis on writing and directing and production, which I love. And then he got an ed- English education degree from MSUM. He taught in Aldine or Aldine, Aldine ISD Houston, Texas for seven years, where he was part of the development presenter where he presented things on project-based learning and classroom management strategies. He's also been a presenter to numerous places. Um, his biggest thing was he's the designer of Building Heroes, a system of rethinking the way that we teach. And he's currently, lucky us teaching at Harrisburg North Middle School in the Advanced ELA program. Welcome, Kate. Thanks to teach very much loud. for having me here. Well, I mean, I'm here, but thanks for coming here to see me. <laughs> no and we're with you. Yeah, this is gonna be this is gonna be exciting to to learn a little more about your passion and what you've brought to Harrisburg, as well as maybe even some background. So, for our listeners, would you just share your why of why did you get into education and what path did did you take? I was working in production, and as uh, anybody who's ever worked in production knows that the jobs are inconsistent. You work for three months, then the jobs fall, and you always have to fill something in. So I always had three jobs. Um, My friends and I were helping to rebuild community theaters that had sort of fallen away in smaller towns and things. So we were were really busy, but really, really poor. (laughs) Right. There's not a lot of money at the EF. I gotcha. Being an artist (laughs) is is well and fine, but uh, I felt like even though productions were great we were really good at it people always enjoyed it there was some money there wasn't really the big issue but Mm -hmm. I decided at a point that I didn't want to have three jobs anymore and I was I could do more for the world with what I had been through and what I what I knew and uh, my mom was a teacher and Uh in in my high school um, graduation book and my yearbook it, I mentioned, I guess, and I don't even remember this, I, I mentioned that I would consider being a teacher. Oh, wow. Um, and I have all kinds of good reasons for that. But eventually, I just decided that my artistic life would be better served if I took my talents elsewhere in order to help. Instead of just it being about me, it, my artistic life then extended to every student. Oh, yeah. Sharing that passion and igniting it in the students for sure. And art doesn't just have to go onto a canvas. Art yes. doesn't have to just go into an instrument. My art literally goes into every one of these kids every single day that I'm here. Oh, I love that. That's so cool. It's, it's, it's incredible. <laughs> it, it, and it's fun to hear stories like that of you're taking, you're taking a true passion and bringing it into education. Yeah, and when I was a student at school, I uh, realized I, I was an advanced children, a child with no advanced program. Okay. So I would do my book work in 10 minutes. Yeah. Um, I was the kid that would rearrange a worksheets. Uh, <laughs> I would rearrange a worksheets questions in order to make a poem out of it. When we're no way. 
So I was always looking for a way to make my own instruction more engaging, knowing that my teachers probably weren't going to. It's a very small town in South Dakota. Um, and I had no idea about instruction. I was just a kid. Right. But I knew what, what was fun and I knew what wasn't fun. So I would do my work and then I would milk the teacher for every piece of knowledge that I wanted for whatever <laughs> writing project that I was working on. So I realized my teachers as a resource by the time I was probably in the eighth grade, I realized that they knew stuff that I didn't know, that I wanted to know it because knowledge is power. And I recognized that at a very early age, probably because of my parents. Sure. And um, then I, I sought to learn everything from them. And then from that sort of reflection as a teacher will be a highly reflective person if they're good at their job. I thought about everything from the moment that I realized that teachers were a valuable resource all the way up to the moment where I stepped into my first classroom on my own. Okay. Um, and there's lots to that. Like you walked in the room, you wanted to turn on the lights. I said, no. no, no <laughs> right. No, I'm no, like, no. why is it dark in here? No, it's like, this no. is what... So for your audience to know, there's there's four lamps uh, in the room in each corner. There's rope lights along the boards. There's Star Wars posters all over the place. Um, Yoda. Video game posters, <laughs> uh, a Stormtrooper helmet, a whole, a whole bookshelf full of players' handbooks. So it looks more like a gaming shop than it does a classroom other than there are desks and chairs. Absolutely. Even the way that the desks are set up in here is much more like what you would see in a gaming lounge where kids get to be collaborative as a group. Um, and that's all part of the gaming strategy. I say, in Kate, why did you, you said that you did that for a specific reason, so the kids wouldn't feel? Oh, yes. Yeah. So I used to get horrible headaches um, as a child from the fluorescent lights, lights looking off of the white paper. Right. And I yep. swore at that moment, I was probably sixth grade, when I said, if I am ever a teacher, I will <laughs> never, ever, ever use the fluorescent lights. There's got to be a better way. So then we're talking about environment. So you don't want your kids to come into an environment that is bestial and institutional. That's what we remember from school yes, growing sure. up. Straight desks in a row, so total silence. If you wanted to be a good teacher, why wouldn't you try to alter the first and easiest thing is your environment. And if your environment is a safe place to take risks, to be friends, to have conversations that maybe would be uncomfortable outside that door so that we can get to the root of problems and solve kids' issues and talk about the world, you need that safe space. And if you don't have the safe space, you're at least going to have one child who doesn't feel like they belong. I guarantee that every single child that has me in this room every day feels like they belong here. And I know that because they've told the counselors. Oh, you, but you hit the nail right on the head because Travis and I talk literally every episode about relationships and how important it is to build them and that you cannot get very far with kids if they do not feel safe and comfortable, you know, in your classroom. And of course so. in Houston, that was even uh, that was even a larger issue because the kids come from a lack of trust. Like right. they had broken homes, they were poor, they are the welfare, free and reduced lunch. And so if you wanted them to learn anything, from you, you had better show them respect first. And so mm -hmm. I learned this respect foot forward for children. And um, when you need to show them, when you need to discipline them, to do so without disrespect is very, very important. And I've seen teachers do this. You know, it's very bestial and you're, you're rigid and you're like, Billy, you shouldn't have done X, Y, and Z. Whereas <laughs> I'll go out and say, little brother, what's going on today? Right. Like, yeah. What's the matter, dude? Right. Like, right. tell me about it so we can get to the end of it. And then the kid will tell you, how about that? And they'll, they'll feel a truly, truly feel remiss for whatever they might have done to cause that instigation. It's all about changing our language. It is. I mean, we have to approach behavior or any sort of environment with a change in our language. It's not the authoritative piece anymore. Like the, you talked earlier, Kate, about knowledge is power. Well, they have, they have the power right now because of the, the technology and the internet. They can get the knowledge. Yep. So what can we do to infiltrate that? <laughs> yep. To make sure that they understand where that knowledge comes from and what is true and what is fake. Yep. 
and that people care. It's, it's our language. I say that word right there is genuine. They need to know that you genuinely care That's about just them. It. A metaphor that I've used during training several times is uh, when you go out to eat and you sit down at your table, you know the second you have a bad server. You know the very, oh, yeah. you know the right. very first <laughs> second that you have a bad server and the children know when they have a bad teacher. And when you are – if you are a server as a teacher, then your big tip is low behavior and high scores. And right. that, that's me. So I know that you know I've got 31 tops in here, but I collected them into five five tops instead because yes. it's more manageable. And then you can put them in, in charge. And then to go along with the extended metaphor because this really does work, if your behavior child runs out of Diet Coke, you're done. It's over. You're in trouble. <laughs> However, if I can make sure that that child's Diet Coke does not go down to the bottom of the glass, they are going to be sated for the rest of the class period right. and keep sipping on it. And I will never be bothered because they got what they needed while they needed it, before they needed it. Before right. I say being proactive it. is the kicker. Right, right. And so when my kids are working on the I do, we do, you do lesson cycle, which I firmly believe in every single lesson, when they're on the we do, like a server, I will walk around and say, any questions about questions? Anything unclear? Anything I can help with? And sure enough, Mr. Wells, yeah, I'm a little unclear about this. And then I get a chance to actually do what I feel our job is supposed to be, which is directly supporting the children. Wait a second. So during that cycle, yeah, because that's, I mean, it's a cycle that we've heard, yeah. but I think we all know that sometimes maybe that cycle goes out the window, no, Travis, too often. <laughs> but you just told us that a kid said, I'm unclear about this, yeah. which, which shows me them advocating for their learning Correct. and understanding what they know and what they don't That's know. Metacognition. And we're yeah. not doing the thinking for them. They are. Right. What, yeah. Um, the teachers that haven't utilized I do, we do, you do yet probably don't realize how much easier it's going to make their life. Oh, yeah. Um, the, the, the stand and talk, the, the average attention span of a, of a teenager or a preteen anymore is less than five minutes, right. which means if you talk to them for seven minutes, you stretch past their attention span by about three minutes. Right. So, and that's all well and fine. And I, I, my kids will still attempt to talk over me in the five minutes that I'm presenting. And all I do is stop and I say, hey, guys, how long am I going to talk to you? About five minutes. All right. So, okay. Yep, Give yep. me that five and, minutes, I mean, it's, right? e it's too easy. Right? <laughs> but part of the I do, we do, you do cycle is the I do the I do does not mean I stand there and talk for 30 minutes. Um, it just doesn't, it's just not, it's just not an effective strategy. If you wanted to do that lecture model, talk for 10 minutes, give them an activity that goes along with it, come back to it again in, in 15 minutes, talk for another 10 minutes, find misunderstandings. Right. You've got to break right. up the lesson cycle so that it's not a teacher standing there for 30 minutes and then the kids get 10 minutes to do whatever task and take it home and do it as homework. Um, and then you won't even know that they're doing it wrong until after they come back and so you have no opportunity to help the growth of the child during the actual act, the right. process of you know, of the learning. So um, the I do, the, the, the biggest deal about the I do is you have to have a model. Um, you need to, if you, I'm, we're doing two research projects right now for my two different classes of advanced English, one sixth grade, one seventh grade. And if you have not done the work that you are asking them to do, can you really ask them to do that in a, in a, in a, in a clear conscience? Yes. So like, I know that this doesn't seem like it has anything. I knew you were going to like this guy, Travis. Oh. I knew it. I know that this doesn't seem like it has anything to do with gaming, but I promise that it does. It has yeah. everything to do with Absolutely. gaming. Because the same philosophies that make a good lesson sequence make a good gaming session. And I've been playing Dungeons and Dragons since I was 10. Right. So I know how, and theater and, and film, and I worked in the news. And so like the story, the story doesn't change right. just because you go from one institution to another. Sure. 
the the act of teaching. And so you you wanted me to tell the folks what they can do uh, in order to do that. This this is one of those things. Everybody can do. I do. You do. We do. And as soon as they figure out how it works, they're going to really enjoy their life a lot more because they're not going to feel like they are the ones that have to profess yes. all the information. Right. 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 So you do a model one time mm-hmm. for the first time you do the lesson. And then it's there for you for every year after that that you ever need it. And you'll advance it and you'll tweak it and you'll make it better. And and each time <coughs> children come, then you can say, here is your instructions. Here is my model. Go. Right. Or you maybe read your model to pull out parts. You do the ins- – it takes me five minutes. And then when the kids have questions, do you look at the model? Oh, yep. Yeah, I'll pop that up. Yep. And I there mean, it, it is. It's too easy. Right. And, Whoop, there it is. And I, I, I don't know. I think it was probably the district that I was working in where this sort of um, strategy really resonated with me where the kids, they, they would not, they wouldn't listen to you. You know, you needed a way to get in. Mm-hmm. So the, the idea of here, we're going to do this cool project. And if I didn't have any models, the dissonance is there. Right. Why am I doing this? Right. You didn't do it. Right. So I always do everything that I'm asking my kids to do short of like, you know, if I give them a worksheet for a skill, some small skill, mm-hmm. I'm not going to do that, but I'm not going to sit here. No. Right. right. I'm going to make sure that they're good. Right. Because I love them. So I have a question. We're going to back just a little Please. bit. So like I said earlier, I literally have had so many of my students come back to me and say, Mrs. Norris, you would love Mr. Wells. He's awesome. I love his class. I love, I'm excited about ELA, which I'm like, dude, that's great. Parents have told me because their scores have gone up. I mean, what you're doing in here, everybody's on fire, which is awesome. So they told me about, uh, Mason said something about Dungeons and Dragons. Is Okay. So can you explain just a little bit like what you're doing with Dungeons and Dragons, what you're doing in the classroom and how... I mean, my daughter told me, God bless her, she's like, Mom, you're old school. You need to be doing cool things. Like Dungeons & Dragons is a cool thing. And being on, you know, what's the new thing? What's happening now is so what the, needs to happen. The funny thing is, is there's nothing new about Dungeons & Dragons. It's been no, around. No, I think it's been around. My husband's 50 and he used to do it all the time when he was, yeah. So one of the, when I was in college, the way this came about is I was in my final stages of getting my teacher's certificate from MSUM. And we were in some class, and I don't know if it was instructional strategies or whatever it was. But whatever they were teaching me at the time was really familiar sounding. And I was like, <laughs> I, I'd never been in education classes before. And it was, it was a mystif- uh, I was mystified as to why I knew the strategies that they were talking about. And at the time, I was working on a campaign for my buddies in, in my uh, player's handbook. And this, the piece is connected where everything that they were teaching me in this class, I'd learned since the age of 10 by playing this game. Wow. And then it progressed to my friends that I have had since college. And I began to wonder why they were so much more advanced in their way of thinking and their approach to people and the way that they worked. And the only commonality that I could think of between myself and my friends as people was that we've all been playing this game our whole lives. Well, and then as a teacher in training, I was like, well, right. I think maybe I'll look a little deeper into this. So then when I got to Houston, I um, started to pull... Um, kids with disabilities, whether it was dyslexia or 504 for disruptions or um, autism, um, okay. a, a number of things. I always plucked the uh, kids who have uh, serious ELL acquisition issues and things of that ilk. Um, I would pull about seven of them after school at this time. Okay. And uh, what we saw was amazing. So we had, I want to bring up one little girl, Joe, I called her for short. And she was a tiny Hispanic girl, tiny. 
four four feet tall, uh-huh. and she made an Amazon barbarian character. Nice. Full plate armor. <laughs> she made a huge monster of of a warrior, and she became very very important in the group. No, this girl wouldn't talk in class. Oh, she would okay. never speak, and she had a reading deficiency. So she was an ELL with a reading deficiency. So she it was double stacked and had a lot of trouble in classes and always felt under under served, I suppose, probably underwritten. Right. And about a month after that, but four weeks of playing, she uh, one of the, her teachers, one of her other teachers came to me and said, she's in your club, isn't she? And I said, yeah. And she said, she is now helping other people with their work. And I wow. said, wow. Well, and that's just one example. One from last year. Um, I had a boy from Honduras who has, his family had been killed in the gang violence. Aww. He had been sent to the United States to live with his uncle. And those relationships don't always work sure. because it's sort of like you're taking care of a puppy or something, I think is the way, I don't know what it is about it, but they oftentimes are pushed to the side and the, the, the kid was sad. He would sleep through class. He never did anything. His teachers asked him, he wasn't a bad kid. He was just very sad. And you can tell yeah. he joined, oh, that breaks my heart. he joined the group. <laughs> And two weeks later, his paraprofessional from his English class, because I didn't even have him for class, I asked the teachers to identify these kids that had this great need. And she catches up with me on a day I was having a really bad day. And she says, Mr. Wells, what did you do to V? <laughs> and she just kind of had this way of speaking. So I didn't know what, where she was driving with this. I, I said, I, I don't know why. And she said, Mr. Wells, he is a changed boy. Aww. She said he used to write the most sad things that you can think of about home and his parents. And she said, now he does his work. He doesn't sleep. He's respectful and polite. He's kind. And the only thing he wants to do is come and see you and play this game and see, visit with some people. This is the stories, Travis, that we need, that we need to hear more. So now the, here's the biggest issue about, you talked about hurdles, right? Right, yeah. So everybody thinks that this is just a game. Like the kid sits down at the Nintendo and presses the button. Right. Yeah, there's always those skeptics out there. I mean, you know, there is. Let me go ahead and explain that this game is a compact, inclusive instructional tool. It has everything that you would want a child to learn for ELA, social studies. One of my children this year came back and he uh, came back from the night he took the Dungeon Master's Guide home, which is the game, which is the the book designed to help you tell the story and run the system sure. as the storyteller. Because for anybody who doesn't know, you have players and you have one Dungeon Master who is the storyteller. He came back and said, "I learned everything there is to know about the world's governments out of the Dungeon Master's Guide," which is true because it teaches you world. It, it, and he did. It teaches you world building. It teaches you how the government systems work. So if you're creating a fantasy world right. and you want to be realistic about it, yeah. you need the actual information from our world. So then sure. the metacognitive process of a child in the learning system is that if you can use knowledge, then you actually learned it. So these kids are learning these apparent, you know, these, these things from this game that would seem like, well, it's just a game. What could they really be learning? They actually have to retain the knowledge in order to be able to speak their voice, to activate a character that was built off of informational text that looks just like a college textbook, has the table of contents and the index, is filled with great Lexile reading, tons and tons of vocabulary that tie to character qualities. So we just had a discussion the other day about alignment. Alignment is the system of good, neutral, and evil, your, 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 your personality core. 
and there's nine of them. And I was explaining to kids how how institutions are usually lawful and neutral, and they just bounce back between that. You want to think that they're good, but they're not really good. They're more lawful and yeah. neutral because if they go right. one way or the other way too far, you're in trouble. And I said, for a, a person like me who's chaotic good like Robin Hood, a lawful <laughs> neutral system can be very hard to work in. And they're like, yeah, that makes sense. Well, the fact that all my kids could understand that in one sentence means that they now have tools to help them describe the very world that they live in and have the tools of personality because you can't play this game without your voice. Right. right. So if you're learning a language, for instance, that idea of reading, speaking, writing, and listening is key to that language acquisition, and that should be in every English lesson cycle anyway. Right. Um, so I've just seen the most amazing, amazing things um, happen because of this game. And then, okay, so... So then you played this game and the kids are learning stuff and they're getting this vocabulary and they visit and they talk. They're collaborating at an all-time high. Right? Oh, have, yeah. When you see their posture when they play the game in here, their feet are on their chair. Every single child's posture is leaned forward. They're waiting for their opportunity. They're listening. They add to each other's dialogues. They, they solve problems, and then the dungeon master adds a new problem. They're like, oh, now what do we do? So <laughs> in this way, it emulates life. Right. right. Where you get a chance to sort of practice what you think you would do through a character at low stakes, but the, you get attached to your character. So the stakes have a sense of reality, but are not real. Right. So say you get caught stealing a loaf of bread because the, the, the dude at the corner is hungry, but you got caught. Well, your character is going to be punished for that. Were you trying to do the right thing? Sure you were, but you still are going to get punished. So it's just a way for kids to sort of explore the world they live in in a low stake. You can't get the same thing from a video game. You don't have the same character attachment because you didn't have to build it yourself. Right. Um, so, I mean, that's kind of the, the long story made as short as I can think. Um, the neatest thing is this is informational text. This is informational text. And in order to use it, you have to synthesize the knowledge in a creative format. Right. So you're literally talking about the brain doing, you know, backflips inside your head by the time you actually play. You know a lot more than you think you know. And so I've seen that evidence in my students now in their writing, where their writing is very revealing that they've, that they've learned things from this silly game. Oh, my goodness. Travis, I'm thinking that we may have to have a day that you and I sneak in and become a student for a day. And I'd be happy to have you in. Check it out. That I'd would be, be fun. Anytime we play. Now, of course, we balance this with regular instruction, and this ends up being the incentive. So um, I haven't had a child on ICU this year. I have behavior children in my room, even though it's advanced. Sure. Using games like this as an incentive can be a really great tool to keep mm -hmm. kids. So if, you don't, if you're not done with all your work, you're not playing D&D &D today. Right. You're going to go out in the hall and you're going to finish your work and everybody else is going to play. I, you bet that work gets done. I mean, oh, for sure. And quality because they can't just turn in garbage and I'm going to let them play. They have to right. do it with efficacy. So if they know that we're going to play like next week on, a, on Friday, usually you try to do it on a Friday when it kind of dead, you know, you can't, you can't get a lot out of them anyway. They will do this with great intrinsic Right. You know, progress. They will do it because they want to, and they're still learning, which is the coolest thing. I mean, they're you can watch them, and they learn. I mean, oh, for it. sure. A person with an untrained eye would probably see it as you know, frivolous silliness, but a, a trained teacher watching that happen will see literally every part of the learning process, especially if you know how it all started with the text. Right. Right. And you can't play it without text. Right. Wow. Ask me a question. I know. I'm just like I'm so blown away right now. My whole brain is like. Going, like doing black flicks, like you said. Yeah. It's doing black flicks. It, it, it's incredible to know just the process. I mean, it, it starts as simple as creating structures. Well, first, let's, let's just 
back all the way up to the start of the show where we talked about changing the environment. Yep. You've changed the environment. You've changed the language. Mm-hmm. Then you've then you've attacked what is the industrial structure of a classroom with the design of really putting some structures in place to have kids understand content, advocate for their learning, apply their learning to now to now engage them with a actual real life scenario yep. system that they have they've now latched on it gets neater too because at first i generated the quest it was with the hobbit and they were following oh god love the they hobbit. were following bilbo's trail sure. as an appalachian trail and the book was left to them as a guide to get to the lonely mountain and they went through the encounters like the ancestors of the encounters that bilbo would have gone through so sure. they fought the trolls they fought the goblins and so instead of taking an <laughs> instead of taking an assessment their assessment was well you saw how bilbo got through it how will you get through how it you using through the it? tools that you guys have built sure. and so of course they know that book like nobody else on this planet and then it came time the campaign was over the book was finished we had played through it and it didn't take as much time as you would think then i said with a conversation with the boss mr fez um, who's an amazing man by the way he, he is. He said, okay, now is the time to release it to them and let them build. And I was like, ooh, you know, I was scared all of a sudden. And I now I know how district coordinators feel. <laughs> um, so Welcome to my world. Right? <laughs> well, you know, trust is a big thing. And I think once people earn it, you let them have it. So um, the kids started building their own campaigns. It gets cooler. So I showed them how to put a map in Google Slides. And how they could all make points linking to other Google Slides. So all the Dungeon Masters, which I have five of in each class, were using the same collaborative map, building adventures that they could all use cool. by putting encounters all over this digital map. So if a character group decided we're going to go north and east, all the Dungeon Master had to do was look at this interactive map and say, oh, what's that encounter? Yeah, okay, goblins. You know, it was it just a neat, neat, neat. So you have this collaborative process that's going beyond just the group. Now it's being shared from one team and even one class to another because I have two classes that do this. And it's, doesn't it just amaze you how, like I always have do activities and I would have these expectations and kids always far exceed them. Like it blows my brain away how much more they can do that I had no idea they were capable of. But you, you have know? to have the engaging activity that allows them to yes. do that. Otherwise, yes. you got nothing. Yep. Um, the, oh, uh, the, the last part of the sequence of, of the game in my classroom is they have to write it all down. Okay. So they play their game. So that's the writing piece then. And then they right. write it the next day. And okay. they, usually, they usually set up their little iPads and they'll record their session. So that when they're writing together, and they each have to write their own document, but it's kind of neat because everybody remembers stuff a little different. Sure. Even in life, your memory is different sure. than your memory or your memory. And so when they're writing their stories, you get this sort of really unique character perspective from the same storyline that happened at their group. And so they'll film it. And then what I do with their vocab list is I, I, I have it in the Google Drive folder. And they have to highlight the words off when they use them and put them in their stories and highlight the words when they use them in their stories. Nice. Every time they use the word, they highlight it and do a different color to make sh- to show that it's been used multiple times. By the time they get to red, that means they've used it five times. The chances are good that child's using their, that word in their sure. vocabulary at that point. Um, I've, I've mentioned to them that, that it's very important that you always go – the last step in any of our writing is always go to that list and see if they can replace any benign words with their academic vocabulary from that grade level. Um, I've told them, you're going to have a test on this. It's going to be a matching test. It's going to be the entirety of this big, long sheet. So like, it's like 90 <laughs> so words. be prepared. It's like 90 words. Well, all I have to do is tell them that. And they'll continue to practice. And if they're real diligent and they mean it and it matters to them, they'll continue to learn those words organically in context by using them in right. sentences that matter to them from the game they played and the story they want to write. Right. I have kids who have 70 pages of story. Wow. From playing this game. 
in seventh grade, 70 pages. Brilliant work. Not just, not like, oh, I just do it. No, like amazing stories. So we're going to print them all out, put them in a big book, keep them here in the library so that each year's kids can cool. see them. That's a great better. idea. And even if I just put it on that shelf, that way I can show them, hey, guys, you're the next piece of this legacy. Wow. We are just, we are loving what you're doing and we hope you continue. Your fire is igniting and you are igniting all these other fires. This is what I, Teach Out Loud is yeah, about. Teach Out Loud. That passion is definitely there. And I am so, like for my kids that are used to be in Team Norris, it just makes my heart happy that they're still, I mean, they're getting all this passion, you know, yeah. and they're, they're getting these opportunities. And so thank you for what you're doing. And thank you for Can advocating for kids. Am I good? You are so yeah. good. But before we go, you have to tell us what it would be, if you had a shout out, like your one thing yeah. you'd want to leave our listeners with, what would that be? Um, children know a good server from a bad server. Mm-hmm. Um, make your restaurant look like a place that people want to be. Yes. Design your, design your learning spaces uh, in a way that makes you want makes you want to learn think of yourself in their shoes and remember what it was like to be yeah. them and don't ever let your adult nature so delude you that you forget what it was like to be a child right. once and try to get some of them in you as much as you get into them and if right. you can balance that you'll be an amazing teacher your children will do anything for you right and then you can teach them the hardest thing that you can think of because they love you they know that you love them the respect and care is the most important thing. Now, we say this all the time in this profession, but do you really mean it? Are you walking the walk? We're, we're in a strange time where horrible things happen at schools. Do your children know that you're the first one to fall for them if that should be the case? No, mm-hmm. I don't expect everybody to throw themselves on, on the bomb, you know, if, if something horrible were to happen. But the philosophy is sound. Mm-hmm. Am I willing to go to the lengths that that maybe nobody else will to show you that you are right. a very important person? And that's a shared relationship. It's a two-way street. Therefore, when Timmy goes out of line, you can simply say to Timmy, little brother, I'm here for you every single day. I will listen to you. I care about you. I go out of my way for you. I check on you. You have been in the green this entire year. What's happening today? And mm-hmm. if you have built that relationship and truly actually built it, and I don't mean faking it because you can tell a fake server. Oh, yeah, for Absolutely. sure. Thanks. Well, then <laughs> anyway, um, that relationship building, I know that there's so much talk about it, so it's unfortunate that that's my, my takeaway from it, but you can't do anything else without it. You right. cannot. Right. Right. The worst case is you have a child who won't come to the fold. And everybody else is in the fold and eventually they want to know, hey, what is it that you don't like about such teacher? Mm -hmm. And then from your relationship building with other students, you can still therefore manage to get into the hardest students. But it starts with, you know, it's not that hard to be a cool teacher. No. It just isn't. Don't let everything bother you. So many people have said, and I truly believe this too, would you want to go to your class? Like if your kids didn't have ah, to be, mm-hmm. would they want to come to, uh-huh. to be in your class? And would you want to be sitting in your class? That's the question you should be asking yourself every day yep. is would your kids want to come even if they didn't have to? And I think that's kind of where we're at. But I know, Travis, that you were going to have many more conversations with Mr. Wells because you guys are kind of on the same wavelength, which I love. And I love this man because he's all about Lord of the Rings and the Hobbits and all these other cool <laughs> yeah, things. Yeah, so. We didn't even get into that. We didn't even, <laughs> we didn't even get, get into that. We didn't get into product-based learning either. That's the other modality that I'm a, I'm a huge uh, advocate of. And right now my kids are doing a World War II multi-genre project where they research a character at length. So it's kind of the synthesis of role-playing when they were skipping the dice. They're, sure. they're taking the historical figure from whatever part of the war they want, everything from the famous to the benign, and they write two poems 
two letters and two short stories and a short play revolving around that one character's research using the inference to create the historical fiction. So they start with fact and then they synthesize it into fiction. Right. You, have, you have different skill sets designed for each of the writing pieces, but then you have this amazing presentation to put forth at the right. end where you can be really proud of what you learned. And then when you do the jigsaw, you imagine that every single child in this room has a different character from this time period. The knowledge that all the children will attain at the oh, end is so wonderful. Vast. And their little eyes, of course, are just right. Fun. Maybe some of them. Well, thank you so much. And until next time, follow us on Twitter and Facebook. Be part of the community. Be part of the solution. And until then, teach out loud. Teach out loud.